All right, Seth, are you sick or are you rife with allergies? Because tis the season either way. I think it's all of the above. So I think I had the flu, Tish, which as you know, getting the flu in your fourth decade of living or your fourth season, as mm-hmm. my Ethiopian friend Ascello says, uh, is really tough. And and I got the flu in my 40s. Now I feel like I'm essentially a walking skeleton. Uh, <laughs> but then I got over it. I thought, and then I got an infection. And then I got over that, I thought, and then we moved and kicked up a whole bunch of dust. And so who knows, really? Maybe I just one foot in the grave. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> this won't age well if I die before I was gonna it comes say, out. I'll just say um, that. Yeah, we're recording this and it goes out two days later. So sorry if that happens in the next 48 hours. Uh, yeah, that's right. Well, I hope you feel better regardless of the cause. I have a kid um, home right now bumping a log on the couch and it is going around. So yeah, yeah. it's a season indeed. Is it same stuff? Sinus, sinusy? Some kids have like stomach bugs. Some kids have head colds. His is of the head cold variety. Thankfully, I'll take that any day over stomach bug. Anyway. Yeah. All right. 100%. So, so, which is a good question. Whenever one of your kids, uh, we'll just say Ralph's because I'm trying to be polite for mm-hmm you know, listening company, uh, who cleans that up? You or Kyle? Well, it's been a long time since that's happened. Blessedly. So I guess when that happens, it's usually me, but I know Kyle's done it. Kyle's not one of those dads. Who's like, mm. no, he doesn't shy away from that stuff. He is a hair holder yeah, for people. That's good. So like when I've, I, I it's been a long that's time amazing. since I've, I've done that to you like way back in the day. Again, he's, He's a saint I, because you for don't. me, I lock the room up, <laughs> board it up, quarantine it, and um, and just forget about the room altogether. Just like it doesn't exist. The kid we exists. just lost a bedroom yeah. in the house. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Don't know. <laughs> it's not pleasant. No. Um, I know this wasn't going to be a conversation on um, bodily issues. So tell me what is on your mind. I've been thinking a lot about the act of creation. And the act of creation as a human endeavor and a human enterprise and how that human enterprise is being uh, taken by the machine. And by machine, you mean the postmodern world in which we live and technology and AI and all the above? All the above, man. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's really funny because you may remember this. In fact, I think you and I were were part and parcel of some of these conversations years ago. But whenever we both started writing, mm-hmm. particularly in our in our field of influence, which at the time was sort of the evangelical field of influence, we would often talk about the publishing <laughs> industry sort of as the machine, yeah. right? It's like it's the machine that keeps churning and um, that needs you to produce more and more and more. And without the more and more and more, like it can't go to market. It can't like it needs you to feed the beast. Yeah. And at the time, that felt really real, right? Like that was the machine. And and over the last decade, because that's how long we've been writing in the same spaces, which is insane to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the last decade, um, the machine has gone from a metaphorical feed the beast industrial machine uh, to a very, very literal artificially intelligent machine. Have you noticed this? 
Uh, yes, maybe not quite as much as you because of the various circles in which we run. But I have noticed, let's just say I've noticed the conversation is rife with this topic. Like you, whenever you said yeah. this is on my mind, I was like, yeah, welcome to the club. I feel like it's on all of our minds. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's it's moved past just those of us who write as a form of vocation. I think I think all of us who just... Uh, you know, are privileged to live in this 21st century and in this, you know, particular neck of the woods deals with this, you know, and, and so it's, it's become an inescapable, inescapable topic. How do we navigate these machines in a way that still promotes goodness and truth and beauty in our lives, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And is it even possible? And is it possible? And, you know, the way I've been thinking about this, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think this is going to be one of those kind of old school <laughs> drink with a friend sort of conversations. I don't really know that my thoughts are super well formed. I don't have a one, two or a three, but I just yeah. kind of like to talk it out and uh, see where we land. And I would, this is actually one of those where I'd love to hear from, from listeners mm-hmm. uh, too about what we're doing, because I do think this is one of those moments in history where we have to sort of put a stake in the ground and set some guidelines and then live by those guidelines, you know? Amen. Yeah. I mean, I think there's 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 a couple of ways to unpack this. I think there's the obvious, like, is it ethical or is it not? And that's a debate that I think could go on for hours and hours, and we wouldn't just ha- come to a clear black and white answer in one, in one yeah. conversation. But I think there's also just the, if it's here to stay, it kind of reminds me of the smartphone conversation. I mean, you can say you want to throw your smartphone in a river or just live with a dumb phone. And I am all for that. And listeners know that I won't rehash that. But that doesn't change the fact that they are here to stay and you live in a world in which smartphones are ubiquitous. So I think it's a kind of a similar situation with things like AI and other machines as well. You can personally choose to opt out in your, let's say like in your work or, you know, I'm a teacher, so I'm not letting my students, you know, all those kinds of things. But that doesn't change the fact that we, this is just the reality of the world. So it's kind of like what to do therefore, because we live here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and there are also all kinds of questions under the question, like, is it all bad? Like, are there right. moments when potentially is these like forms of AI creation are good? Are mm-hmm. there moments when they can speed up efficiency when they can do tasks that, you know, we can't do it a fraction of the time. And, and is that okay? And what are the parameters around that? You know? Yes. And so, this is one of those conversations to me that has a lot to unpack. And so here's where I'd love to start. Okay, Tish, tell me. When you write any any act of like creation that you do, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's for your Substack or personal writing or whatever, do you use AI chat bots? Yes or no? And if not, why not? Not only have I never used AI, I'm kind of scared of it. And perhaps that is, um, I don't know if that's healthy or unhealthy, but I'm scared of it to the point where I don't even want to Google it because I don't know where to go. Like, I don't know the websites. And whenever I do see something show up that's like, this is an AI generated thing, I close it out because it freaks me out. And that sounds like I think I'm in a horror movie or maybe like, like a little bit of my response feels like I remember some family members who chastised my parents in the 80s for letting me watch Smurfs because Smurfs were evil. I want to, I don't, I, you know what I mean? I don't want to be that person who's like, you know, 
get out the crosses and throw holy water on AI because demons, you know, I don't want to do that needlessly. But I could also make the case that maybe demons, I mean, you know, kind of. Um, so no, I don't. I have not touched it and I don't see doing it in the foreseeable future. But that is not to cast judgment on other people who do in a way that actually promotes good, true, beautiful things. And that's what I want to learn more of. Like, how how are you able to work it? So far, I haven't needed to. I, I will say I'm also the type of person, like, I don't have any sort of smart device in our home. Like, we don't have an Alexa or a, I don't even know what the equivalents are of other brands. And I don't plan to. But this is not to cast judgment yeah. on others who do. I just don't want that in my home. So I, I am of that yeah. Uh, ilk. You know, that's the fabric of, of which I am cut. So I already know that I'm a weirdo and an outlier. So Seth, you mm. as a lawyer, I feel like you could see more use to something like AI than I would as an English teacher. I totally do. And I use it. Um, and and that this is one of the questions that I had when AI chat and, and AI writing first came along is, are there some use cases in which this could be a good thing? And are there use cases in which it's maybe not so much of a good thing? Mm -hmm. And then sort of trying to drill down into the why or why not of each. Yeah. So I'll give you the example. The first time I ever used, it was very, very early on in ChatGPT. And the first time I used ChatGPT, I had a client ask me, if I could generate for him a, uh, a terms and conditions for a terms of use for a website. And it was a highly, highly specific terms of use. It would have probably taken me, I don't know, six and a half, seven hours to draft. And there were some very, very particular statutory terms that he wanted me to include. And so I said to him, hey, can I just pilot you know, chat GPT and see, you know, if I can get this done and, and how long it would take me. And he was like, yeah, sure. Like, go for it. So I plugged in, you know, my request to chat GPT and it kicked out for me uh, a terms of use uh, agreement that was very, very good and highly detailed with very specific statutory citations. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I did not trust chat GPT. <laughs> but uh, uh, so what I did was I pulled all the statutes mm -hmm. um, and all the relevant law that I needed. I then cross-checked it against what chat GPT had, had rendered for me. And it was, it was pretty close. It was not perfect. I did have to modify it. Um, so I did the modifications. I changed the agreement. And all told, I think it took me maybe two hours. Yeah of something that would have typically taken me six hours. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I told the client, like, I functionally just saved you four hours of billable time. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe I could have done it in less time, but I mean, I was having to read an entire statute. I would have had to re read an entire statute and then drafted off that law. Um, and that just takes a lot of time. So that use case was super beneficial to the client. It was beneficial to me and it was beneficial to my other clients because it saved me time that I could then shift to go work yeah. on other people's stuff. So in that use case, it felt to me like, actually, maybe this is okay. Yeah. Well, and to me, it, that's the equivalent of something that like I remember back in my blogging days when I needed to have some legalese. I just went and searched online, found a good paragraph or two, copied and pasted it. So to me, that's the equivalent of something like that. It's just more efficient now. And you could argue 
that if we all have 24, se- 24 hours, seven days a week, aka finite time, that just saved you time to perhaps then add more goodness, truth, and beauty to your life in some other way. Like maybe you could help cook dinner. Totally. Because you got totally. to move on to something else or you got to do something else work-wise that did create more human flourishing, blah, blah, blah. So that to me makes a lot of sense using it in that reference point. And I think it's because the way you used it there is a tool. And what a tool right. does, and I've talked with in a previous episode about this with Autumn Kern, if you think of a tool as like a hammer, a hammer helps you yep. put a nail on the wall that in a way that's more efficient than with your bare hand. But a machine replaces you doing that work, right? So instead of sitting here contemplating who won the 92 Olympics for hockey and enjoying the leisurely process of trying to remember or contemplate or having that conversation, you shortcut that process by Googling it from that machine in your pocket and you miss out on kind of the opportunity to be a human who just wonders things. Yeah, and the, that's yeah. kind of a difference between a tool and a machine. So you used it as a tool in that regard, and I think that's that's genuinely useful. You know, I've talked to clients about this. I've talked to friends about this, and I think you know when I when I think about that particular use case, um, I can tell you with some degree of certainty, no matter how good ChatGPT gets, uh, it can never replace an attorney. And, and and there are some reasons for that, right? And the reasons yeah. are this: um, I have a license. ChatGPT does not have a license. So if ChatGPT were going to replace the lawyers, then who is a client going to sue if somebody gets the thing wrong? Who are they going to go? Whose license are they going to go after? How are they going to find an individual that can sort of like take the blame for the fault of the drafting? Like that's on the attorney. That's why people hire attorneys. And I think there are other uh, areas where this is very similar. Like, can I see AI replacing a doctor? Not anytime soon. Now it may help shortcut some processes. It might help make some diagnoses, but it, it can only be used really in conjunction with a doctor or in conjunction yeah. with an attorney. And so in those kinds of use cases where you can save time, shortcut a process, uh, better allocate hours, those kinds of things, I could really see it driving some efficiency. And maybe it could be a kind of thing that would even help drive down costs Mm -hmm. of things like uh, law fees or Mm. medical bills or insurance premiums ultimately or whatever the thing. I mean, there there could be an argument made for that. And therefore make those things more accessible to people who otherwise wouldn't have access to them, which is a good thing. Exactly. Um, Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think those all make complete sense. And those examples that you gave is using it as a tool, right? If a doctor is still there doctoring another human and can use AI to help go deeper or unpack something that he or she wouldn't have thought of before, then that is great because that's helping that doctor doctor well, you know? I think here's yeah, my yeah. here's my hang up with the idea. It's not so much in the results, although the results, you know, like you said, you can't just blindly trust them. And we've heard of all the stories, right, of the goofy images and the, you know, the art and all that. Um, so the results are a thing. I would argue that the hesitation, what gives me pauses on the user side of things, do we need to be people who create and not just depend on that? So an easy example to me is a calculator. You know, we've all had that experience either from ourselves in high school or when we have teenagers. Why do I need to learn these math 
you know, these algebraic equations when most of my life I'm going to have a calculator in my pocket. Very true. It's not because in the grocery line you're going to need to know an algebraic equation. It's because your brain needs to create those neuropathways. You need to be a person who has done those math problems because that actually contributes to your human flourishing and making you be more human. So I wonder if we're going to shortcut some of that and actually be less fully human when we depend on AI to do the work for us that we we just need to do ourselves, mm. you know? Yeah, and I think that brings me to the other use cases. Like, why do I feel different about this in, in, in other areas? Like, why do I feel differently about AI creation when it comes to art? Yeah. Why do I feel different about it when it comes to... Uh, the creation of words on a page, uh, whether it's in book form or in Substack or on Twitter or whatever the heck. Yeah. Uh, why do I feel, uh, you know, different about it um, when it comes to seeding conversations um, or journalism or mm-hmm. photographs for news stories? Like, why? Why is there a difference there? Um, so I'd love to pick your brain about that because you said something that was really interesting. You said uh, that it's sort of, it's like seeding the uh, humanness mm-hmm. out of the thing, out of the creation. It's like handing over um, our ability, not just to think, not just to critically think, not just to wonder, not just to ponder, but to be human. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, when you first started talking, my initial thought was not even like what makes different forms of AI different from each other, but what makes AI different from, say, like a washing machine? Like, I am very grateful that I don't have to go down to a river and wash my family's clothes, right? I use a machine for yeah, that. Right. And so that's right. an example of how machine and technology makes our overall life better. Although there are stories, though, of how the invention of washing machines affected entire communities because women no longer went down to the river totally. and talked to each other. So there's that whole thing. Like what is AI doing to that communally? But um, yeah. yeah, like different forms of AI. I mean, basically when is AI okay to use and when is it not okay to use in that example? Um, yeah. To me, there is something, I don't know if it's for me personally, I don't feel like writing is okay. Visual images are not. I almost feel a little bit more like utilitarian things are Okay. Anything else is not, but I correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I put a poem, even like a good news article with some exceptions, depending on the purpose of the news article, perhaps um, a well-written long form piece for sure. And a painting all in the same category of this is saying something true because we are human beings that say these things. Machines are not divinely created, but they are created by divine people, you know, people with the divine or created by the divine. And, you know, our nature is co-creators. Like that's, that's what makes us different than like the beavers, you know, who just build dams and eat fish. We're co-creators. And so we need to co-create. And so I don't know, tell me, tell me your thoughts of how words and images are different in AI. So I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and, uh, you know, let's, let's take this in sort of steps because one use case, which I've already said I'm okay with is, is this sort of use case of, you know, creating words for legal use for like a boilerplate use. 
Um, then there's this sort of middle step, like it's it's the sort of quasi utilitarian, quasi creative act, and I think you named it perfectly, which is like a news source. And I'm not talking about a um, long form op ed or something like that. I'm not like this is not not. I mean, that obviously in my mind needs to be created by a human. If if you're giving your opinion, then you need to give your opinion, not the bot's opinion. But let's say there's just a you know fire on 14th Street, and in the fire on 14th Street, a family loses everything that they own, right? And the fire was started because, let's say, there was a, a firework that went off above, and it was a dry season um, on the 4th of July, and it ignited the pine tree, and the pine tree fell in the middle of their house, and the house ignited, and they lost everything. In, in a story like that, which you can find almost every Fourth of July, yeah, that could certainly be written by an AI bot. Well, right? Like, there's enough sources out there. Mm-hmm. Here's where it gets tricky, though: is what if? I mean, because clearly you can trace just kind of like lineage. You can trace all the way back to human beings giving AI its information from which to create said article, right? But. Where it gets tricky is what if that has to do with some city council decision to put uh, the fireworks display here instead of here, and old man McGruber made this decision, and some people in the in the town think he's crazy, and so you start getting into that kind of territory. So even simple news articles could there's something ben- behind them that's still inherently human, you know. That's exactly right. And that that was going to be my point. Like the the number of factors that lead to that news source and news story are inherently human. Who shot the firework? Mm-hmm. Why did they shoot the firework? Why was it dry? Um mm-hmm. what, you know, what caused the drought in the city? What about this family? Who were they? Were they rich? Were they poor? Were they black? Were they white? Like there are so many important factors that go into that story that delve into things like socioeconomic status and class and, um, you know, potential issues of racism, potential issues of, of government uh, intervention or non-intervention, as it were. There, there are just so many factors that go into that story that when written by a human, that nuance can be teased out. But when written by a machine, it's going to be fed an algorithmic response that is going to be coded by someone. It's going to have a point of view. Yeah. Whether or not we know what that point of view is, is another story. But if you don't know what that point of view is, if you don't know who coded it or where it came from or how it tends to to look at things, I mean, what if the AI said there was a drought because of global warming right. and it was written in a community in Alabama where the conservative populace did not believe in global warming? Right. Or what if it said... Uh, you know, it was dry, but this has nothing to do with global warming, um, uh, you know, in a populace where people were like, no, man, this is like a real thing that we need to pay attention to. And it could have had a contributing factor. And I mean, that's kind of an extreme example. But but again, like there are so many factors that go into that story that require a human touch that to me, it feels like even that like quasi utilitarian news article is so laden with human emotion and understanding and nuance that in my mind, it should never be seeded over to a computer, to an AI. Yeah. 
So I guess I just wonder, like the next step would be, especially thinking of people listening that aren't necessarily writers, like they don't necessarily have a direct need to use AI beyond just like something for fun. What's to be done? You know, how should we then live? Like we, we are citizens, so we consume news. What if some news we've read is AI generated? Is there anything to be done about that? Or is it a matter of like, because this is the world we live in, just always know that could be AI generated? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is there have to be tiny acts of resistance. Yeah. Um, from the people, from people at a grassroots level. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean, in my mind, that means that we as writers need to take a pledge like, we will not use AI mm-hmm. to write our pieces. And here are the things that we may use it for, but here are the things that we will not use it for, period, full stop, end of sentence. Yeah. Do I have any problem with a writer using an AI chatbot as a spell checker? No. Yeah. But but the moment that it starts recasting your phrases or suggesting other ways to say a thing that are more palatable to the AI, no way, dude. Like, step away, right? So... I think all of us have to begin to start, you know, we have to begin to say like, here's how I will not tolerate it. And, and then I think there's some really good questions to be asked of your local news sources. Like, are there real people writing this stuff? Yeah. Um, you know, when you're on Axios and you're reading a article, you know, is there a name associated with it? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know whether that name has taken a pledge not to use AI? Um, you know, when you're watching a movie, do you know that the writers on that movie have have refused to use AI? Like in these acts of human creation, what can we suss out about who is using AI and who isn't? And um, and be really clear about what we will support and what we won't. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good first step. You know, it, it feels very much in tandem with this idea of intentionally doing things the harder way for the sheer act of doing them harder, like baking your own bread instead of getting it to the store. Yes, yeah. there are choices we all make, but this is to me a bit of a version like choosing to write your own stuff or choosing to intentionally support, let's say a writer or a YouTube channel or, or some sort of musician knowing full well that they've, they are doing it themselves as opposed to something else is a way of just putting your vote or casting your vote for the world you want yes. to live in. And I think it's just a reminder that these things, I mean, I again, I don't want to sound like that nervous Nelly, but these things aren't harmless. You know, it's all well and fun, you know, to just like ask it to create some goofy image and then you just get a good laugh at it. But not to throw him under the bus because I don't think he listens to this anyway, but my cousin's husband over Christmas um, this past year just kind of was laughingly talking about how he he used to do story time with his kids where he would make up a story and now he does it with AI. He he will ask mm. his and his kids are little. He'll ask like what do you want a story about and he'll say that I am a cowboy riding a dolphin to, you know, whatever, x y and z. And so he'll punch that into AI, it'll spit out a story and he just reads it to them. I'm not saying that's not fun once or twice, but to make that your mainstay way of inventing stories with your kids, what are you shortcutting both for you and for them? They're missing out on what their dad could come up with. And you're missing out on being someone who came up with a story, even if it's not as like exciting or great in your mind, it's still a thing that you've missed out on enjoying the process of, you know? Yeah. 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 And that kind of is reminiscent to me of, you know, the early days of 
Twitter and Facebook when you would just sit there and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. Um, and you never really thought twice about it. It was like, oh, this is just a new fun thing that I'm just doing. And then, you know, 10 years later, we all woke up, woke up and said, oh, crap, we're addicted. Yep. Um, and I wonder what we're going to do in 10 years when we wake up from this sort of AI hangover. Like, yeah. What are we going to, we're going to look at the world and say, oh, oh no, what have we done? What have we created? I've actually, I'm actually working on a piece right now for my Substack. So, uh, and, and it's me handcrafting it, you know, <laughs> uh, it's a yeah. bespoke piece Always that I am writing about this. It's this idea of problem creep that our, we actually are hardwired to deal with problems and like, that's physically how we grow biologically, but also emotionally and et cetera. When we don't have problems, we invent them. And that's kind mm. of why we see our world in the state that it's in, or at least individually with our mental health, blah, blah, blah. Um, we're looking for problems. And so the antidote, this one person that I was reading says to problem creep is uh, create the problems you want. So that looks like uh, downgrading your phone, or that looks like baking your own bread, or that looks like walking to work or whatever, like create yeah. a little bit of friction in your life so that you don't want that stuff. So it sounds like a weird thing to say, like bicycle to the grocery store so that you don't depend on AI, but maybe, you know, because we're holistic yeah, people and yeah. that's how it all works. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that idea. I love that idea. And I think in the same way, you know, I've been enjoying and have gotten back to longhand writing mm -hmm. things. Me too. Just like writing things with a pen. Yeah, me too. Uh And it just feels like it's stuff nobody's ever going to see, right? Because I'm not going to retype the whole thing. Right. Um, it's, it's for me, it's not public. It can't be generated by anything other than my brain and my hand. Yeah. And there's something about that that feels really pure. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of us are going to head. Yeah. I think a lot of us are going to head to the place of purity of saying like, man, everything is so artificial. How do we get back to the purest expression of X? Yeah. And for me, sometimes that means a longhand poem, you know? Yeah. It's kind of why I'm wanting to create that print newspaper for my Substack. You know, right now it's it's a digital, but still print, you know, a PDF thing that we're heading towards something that you get in the snail mail because we're all craving that. We all want that real. Yeah, that's right. slow. All right, Seth, I know we need to keep it short. So I am curious what's adding more goodness, truth, beauty, et cetera, to your life right now. Anna Tibble. Do you know this woman? Uh, I know the name, but I can't remember why. So Anna Tivel, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, but she's a musician. Um, I recently discovered her um, music because I was listening to Madison Cunningham radio uh, on Apple and it was just, it just like popped up in the suggestion. And the minute I heard her first song, hmm. uh, I was, I was just like, Oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta know everything about this person. Nice. And I've now listened to all of her music okay. and it is, astounding um i highly suggest outsiders which is her acoustic album um and it's just really beautiful it was create that that particular album was written and created in the pandemic when everybody was in quarantine so you can imagine how acoustic it is it's essentially two guitars nice um and it is just the most beautiful music and it tells stories in really beautiful and raw ways um it's very poetic and the guitar work is second to none That's so cool. it's just a really it's a really good listen it sounds right at my alley so i'll take a listen when we're done you would love it nice you would love it. So what's what's something that's bringing uh, goodness, truth, or beauty to your life? Uh, Joan Chittister's The Rule of Benedict. So listeners- Oh man, dadgum. I know it. Sorry. We could do a whole episode on her. But- um, Sure could. A lot 
of listeners already know, I have a rule of life kind of workshop thing and I'm re I like I revisit it every few years and polish it. I'm I'm doing a pretty major rehaul over it. And if you've already got it, don't worry, you'll get the version, um, the automatic upgrade. But she is basically guiding me through this process because she's so damn smart and wise and good with words. So I'll just leave it at that. It's a great book. I recommend it. It's not instead of what I create, it's it's just it's it's just her wisdom as you read the rule of Saint Benedict. So highly recommend it. She's great. So it's good stuff. Uh, her um, liturgical year yes. was sort of the gateway drug uh-huh. for me. So I, I yeah, literally, my, good stuff. my friend and I met for coffee this morning and as she was leaving, she pulled out the book she's reading. And I was, and it was that one. I was like, Oh, get ready to go down the rabbit hole. She's yeah. Yeah. She's you're in trouble. Force. Yeah. All right. We'll put all that in the show notes. Also, before we get going, I just need to say that by the time you're listening to this, I think it'll be next week, October 5th, a a Thursday. If you're in the Central Texas area, go to Fabled Bookstore. I will be there doing a QA, and a AMA, whatever you want to call it, signing. We'll just hang out and have drinks. Please come 7 p.m. It's a great bookstore. I'll put a link in the show notes. You won't want to miss out. Kids are welcome. Everyone's welcome. Your neighbors, bring them all. I'm. I want to come. I know you. You guys should come in, man. It's a great excuse. Maybe we will. I know. It's also yeah, a a bit of a drive. I understand. Yeah, that's right. All right. I am Tish Oxenrider with Seth Haynes. You can find all our episodes at a drinkwithafriend.com, where you can also help support this little thing we're doing by picking up the next round of drinks. Because remember, it's free for you to listen to, but it's not free for us to make. You can find me and all my stuff at tishoxenrider.com. Seth, how about you? Where is your stuff? Can f- oh man, just find me at sethhaines.com. Follow the links, go to my Substack, sign up. Let's have a good time. Okay. And for all of that and everything we talked about, you can just head to the show notes of this episode. Kevin McLeod did the music. Kyle Oxenrider did the editing. Seth and I did the talking. We'll be back here more with more soon. In the meantime, thank you for being here. We appreciate you listening. <laughs>